Welcome back to Everything is Public Health. I'm MJ. And I'm Cass. This is another homage to our very... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said it that This is another homage to our very first season. Do you remember the second episode that we ever did? Uh, Something about sex education. Yes, it was uh, the dangers of abstinence-only sex education. And uh, we're going to do another sexual health is public health. It's been a long time coming since we do another one of these. Truly wild that we got this far. I feel almost proud. You should. A little bit. Yeah, you know the saying that most people overestimate what they can do in a day, but underestimate what they can do in a year. I feel like this podcast is a manifestation of that because I'm constantly trying to do too much for every individual episode. But we did a lot. We did a lot of episodes and we came a long way. Absolutely. I do remember when you first asked me. Yeah to do this i was like yeah okay like this will probably burn out (laughs) but probably it'll burn out we might do you know half a dozen episodes and realize meh this isn't gonna work but it's great we've had amazing guests on the show you know awesome interviews and a whole wide range of topics and it's good it's fun yeah always trying to improve or always trying to make things better with my limited capacity every week and my overly ambitious mind but anyway for today's topic well and it's not just not just this you do like nine million more things oh yes, beyond yeah. this podcast <laughs> that's true uh yeah listeners my life is a little chaotic but anyway for today's topic we will start first with a flashback to sex ed class i assume for you Cass, your sex ed class had a section on the various sexually transmitted uh, infections and disease oh yes and we were, I don't know if they still do this or not, but this was like... I hope so. Well, no, I hope they don't do this. But this was like in the um, the height of the scared straight era. So they would oh, show us pictures right. of genitalia with the absolute worst case of all of these sexually transmitted diseases. And in fact, well, sexually transmitted infections. We called them diseases at the time, but really they're infections. And man, there were some nasty (laughs) pictures that they showed us and really don't think it in any way impacted people's decision to engage in sexual activity or not. Maybe it promoted safe sex. We did talk about different different protective methods like we talked about in the original episode. But yeah, I mean, we talked about, you know, everything, chlamydia, genital warts, syphilis, HIV, which was really just getting attention at the time right. I would have been big one. in getting sex ed. but Middle school, right? No, I got it in elementary school. Wow, so early. I think I only got it in middle school. Well, keep in mind, when I went to elementary school, sixth grade was still in elementary. So we did K through six. Right. Seven, eight, nine was junior high. And then 10, 11, 12 was high school. Wow. I think I was on the tail end of the scare straight era. We got a little bit of it, but the curriculum was definitely a lot, I don't know, toned down, I guess is the right word. But it seems like the tone of your discussion was definitely, here's all the dangers of what could have happened if you get these diseases. And there was a little bit of that for me, but definitely... Uh, not as much. The focus was we spent more time on HIV than anything else. I don't know if that was the case for you. No, not really. I mean, we actually, that's not true. (laughs) We had like a whole separate day where we talked about HIV, but it wasn't about HIV as a sexually transmitted infection. It was about all the ways you can interact with a person and not get HIV. 
Like it was, we were still at the point where like you needed to teach people that you can shake hands with someone right, and not get HIV. Right. You can hug and kiss someone and not get HIV. There was a lot of, you know, stigma yeah, and there was. misinformation and all that kind of stuff at that time. Yeah. I'm wondering like what, what the effects of that were. I'm sure someone has done some study about like the effects of different generations of sex ed and how that impacted people's, you know, perception and behavior. Or if not, hey, grad student, there's a, there's thesis for you. <laughs> out there if you look into this but but yeah i'm i'm always interested because i don't think scared straight worked particularly well i mean there's there's evidence showing that it doesn't really yeah work. it doesn't really work that well but uh, if there's a grad student out there looking for a thesis i just gave one to you so, uh one thing we'll talk about before we get into the main meat of the subject is the terms that we'll be using itself uh so you went through std the std era which is the sexually transmitted disease era and now the preferred term is sti which stands for sexually transmitted infections we sort of did both of these in the beginning of the episode. How would you categorize the difference between the two terms? So technically, broadly, people think of them as being the same thing. Mm -hmm. Although I do think part of the evolution away from disease to infection is that infection is actually much more accurate because it is something that is an infection. It's communicable. It's transmissible to other people. And generally now we reserve disease for something that is chronic, something that might develop like heart disease, lung disease, you know, cancers, those sorts of things. So generally the field has sort of coalesced around sexually transmitted infections. Partly it's less stigmatizing than to call sort of calling something a disease. And as I sort of alluded to, sexually transmitted infections are largely treatable, curable, et cetera. There, you can take antibiotics or whatever it might be. And even with HIV now, you can get folks to a point where they can reduce their viral load They're to stable. the point where they are either stable or actually no longer detectable, Ooh. which is really, really exciting. So, um, so yeah, sexually transmitted infection is the is the best way. STI is the preferred term. Yeah, I didn't realize they've gotten that far in uh, treating HIV. That's actually very impressive. Yeah, it's happened at least. I think two people now have had have gotten down their viral load so low that they essentially are non-infected. The beauty of modern science. But yeah, I think SDI is definitely the preferred term. And the stigma is, I mean, we'll talk about stigma in a little bit, but it's definitely, it's definitely a good shift to sexually transmitted infection. Because if someone gets the flu, you don't say, oh, they have the flu disease. It just doesn't make sense, right? But for some reason for uh, STIs, for the longest time, we said sexually transmitted disease and we're starting to shift away from that. So we'll try to use the term STI in this episode as much as we can. The first part of this episode, I think, is the most obvious part, but nonetheless important, is why is why SDI or SDIs are is why is STI a public health concern? STIs are plural, so why are STIs <laughs> a public health concern? MJ can't grammar. I keep getting yeah, sorry. Right, why are SDIs a public health concern. To put it simply, the spread of infectious disease in general falls under the purview of public health. And since SDIs are no different, duh, right? This is a concern for public health. But I do want to do this section anyway, because I feel like people, our society in general, treats SDI as a completely separate phenomenon from like infectious disease in general. They're like, oh, like you got to you got an STI instead of, do you know what I mean? I feel like they treat SDIs very differently. Yeah, absolutely. And it has to do with stigma around sex and sexual activity. And, you know, are you being promiscuous or whatever while they are, you know, transmitted and people might be doing nothing risky, right? Like you could be in what you think is a monogamous relationship and maybe your partner 
has sort of an extra, extra relational, extramarital yes. <laughs> um, activity, right? An affair, whatever. And then they infect you. You didn't engage in any risky behaviors and you can still get infected. But there is this perception that people who get STIs like, are oh, you've been yeah, out doing whatever. I mean, just like anything else, you can do all the right things and you can still get the flu. You can do all the right things and you can still get COVID. We we hear about this all the time. And so it really is no different than in in terms of how people, well, I mean, obviously there's some difference because there's sex versus no sex, but you know, right. <laughs> it is an infection and people can do all the right things and still things might not work out. So yeah. I think it's just generally an attitudinal issue because it's related to sex. Yeah. I think anything that is related to sex, uh, society has a difficult time wrangling with it, I guess. And this is the, one of the reasons for a shift towards STIs, because a lot of times they are infections. And it's not like there are no such thing as sexually transmitted disease, because as we know, HIV is an infection. AIDS is a disease, right? There is a place where that term is appropriate. But for most of them, like STI is the more appropriate term. I would also, I would argue that yes, AIDS is a disease, mm -hmm. but you can't get AIDS unless you are infected with HIV. So like I still... Yes. And one thing I will also say on top of that is not all STIs needs to be sexually transmitted exclusively. There is a lot of ways that you can get an STI without any sexual activities occurring. So sharing of needles is one of them. If you're very unfortunate, if the blood bank messes up, <laughs> if you're very unfortunate, hopefully it doesn't happen at anymore, but that's also another way. And there are certain STIs that can transmit just like a normal virus. For example, the vast majority of people, you know, take the statistic with a grain of salt, but like one in two people in America have herpes because there's two types of herpes. There's herpes simplex one and herpes simplex two. Herpes simplex one is, I, I love this joke. This is from my microbiology professor in undergrad. She was like, herpes simplex one is upstairs herpes and herpes simplex twos is downstairs herpes. <laughs> and it is true. Uh, one in two people have herpes simplex ones because it's, it's a sexually transmitted disease technically, but you could get it just like kissing or just like by sharing drinks. It's very easily transmittable. And most people that get it show absolutely no symptoms. And what happens is you get a fever sore or a cold sore one day because when you're like, you don't sleep well or something. But yeah, I think it's important to point out that STI are not just like, no, you must have sexual intercourse to spread this infection. Sorry. It's like, no, it's like any other infection. That's the primary vehicle, but you can get it. Well, and not to scare people, right? But yeah, generally we think of these in the context of sexual activities, but yes, there are some that can spread through other avenues as you were just describing. And I think for a little while, some people were trying to categorize or frame some of these as like bloodborne yes, infections, yes, yeah. which is accurate. Right. Like HIV technically could be transmitted through blood, like you were talking about needle sticks or sharing needles or blood bank stuff, which is also with the sort of hepatitis. Yes. Yeah. Pieces too. But then there wasn't enough sort of coalescing around yeah, that yeah. because then people are like, well, what about these other STIs? And so I think STI is generally just that's the, the accepted term the way now. that we're yeah. going to loop these together. But as you said, there are some that can get passed along in other ways. Yes. As you are very familiar, both you and I are very familiar with the scientific and academic community. Once a term sticks, it's very hard to get people to move away from that term. I know this is an aside, but it's it's related to these terms sticking. So early in COVID, people were using social distancing as the term, right? And, and that's stuck, right? Like that's what that we talk about when we mean stuck. like when we mean don't go out in large groups, stay six feet apart from people, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But in actuality, 
we mean physical distance. Yeah. We mean physically spread yourself out from people. And I tried so hard I know you- <laughs> to get people to talk about physical because di- the last thing we wanted was for people to socially yeah, distance isolation themselves. is not what we want. <laughs> yeah. Even if you might be physically separate, we want people socially connected. So social distancing to me was like the absolute wrong term. But people who are obviously way smarter than I am in this space <laughs> were using social distancing and that's what stuck and it, it never really sat well with me but that's just a a tangent on that i went through that one week where a lot of communicators were trying to switch to physical distancing and i was being one of them and it was just an uphill battle every step of the way but yeah i tried i did my part i ran a lot of virtual events for my friends when that happened because you know with technology you could absolutely not socially distance and physically distance thanks to uh, the power of virtual meetings but yeah anyway terms are hard to change even today std is still floating around even though the more appropriate term is sti's So cool. Another reason why STIs are a public health concern is because a lot of SDIs are quite serious and have long-term effects, right? So obviously there are SDIs that can be treated very easily and we have treatment for those, but it is still a public health concern because when left untreated, they can be very serious. And that is a legitimate public health concern. So HIV being the very obvious one, I feel a lot of people talk about HIVs in their sex ed class. If left untreated, it will develop into auto... No, wait, that's not it. Acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. Yes, there we go. HIV, when left untreated, will develop into AIDS. And that is very serious. And uh, I don't think we need to expound on that. I think most people know what AIDS is. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of misinformation out there about AIDS. Maybe we should talk about it a little bit. But it's it's basically your immune system's not being able to function. And therefore, you're unable to fight off infections that to a normally functioning immune system you would handle no problem. But since you don't have a normal functioning immune system, even the smallest infection could get you under. And yeah, so that's obviously the biggest one. And then another big one is human papillomavirus, HPV. That can cause cervical cancer, among other issues. We have a vaccine for this now. And it's not just about females getting vaccinated, people who have cervixes and therefore could get cervical cancer, but also males. Yes, absolutely. Who may have sex with females. Uh, and can also sort of spread the disease. And so there's a big push for vaccinating everybody for HPV. Yeah. And this was actually a big, I lived through part of the campaign for this to get uh, men or people without services vaccinated for HPV, because although HPV doesn't manifest as frequently, I guess, in males, in male bodies, you are absolutely a carrier if you have HPV as male. And yeah, like, I think this is such a interesting public health case study of like, even if you aren't going to be directly affected by it, i.e. cervical cancer, you should still be vaccinated because you're protecting other. This is like herd immunity in its purest form. I'd really love that. And obviously, if you haven't, go get vaccinated, regardless of your gender or sex. Another one is chlamydia. And this one is, I don't think a lot of people know about this one. Chlamydia could cause something called pelvic inflammatory disease, which is a very, what I've read as very unpleasant, and it could cause infertility. So if you uh, leave chlamydia untreated, it might cause you know, scarring in your fallopian tubes and therefore causing infertilities in many different ways. And it's very dangerous because oftentimes chlamydia is symptomless. So in epidemiology space, symptomless diseases or carriers, as we say, are even a bigger public health concern because then people don't know about them and then that's how the disease spreads. So chlamydia, yes, there's long-term impacts of STIs such as chlamydia as well. Yeah, syphilis is another 
big one. Folks may be familiar with the Tuskegee syphilis experiment where physicians left intentionally, they intentionally left untreated black men in particular, but then spreading to their families in Tuskegee to see the quote unquote natural evolution of syphilis in African-American populations. And it was uh, super unethical. There was no reason to expect that this disease would progress differently in black Americans versus white Americans. It was definitely super racist. Most importantly, there were treatments available. Yes, that's the most messed up thing. And when participants who were, you know, without informed consent were being part of this study, when they would go to other doctors for primary care visits, et cetera, and they had symptoms of syphilis, like everyone was in on it and they were not given treatment for it. Like they were intentionally withheld life-saving treatment. And if you have syphilis and it is left untreated, it can cause severe neurological issues. Yeah, it's very bad. Yeah, it's terrible. You can pass it on, obviously, to partners. And so that's a a terrible example that thankfully led to a lot of changes in research ethics and how we how we approve things, handle things, et cetera, what kind of information we need to share to participants. But syphilis is a can be a, a really terrible one if it's not treated. Yes, if left untreated, yes. I mean, it's terrible anyway, but if left untreated. Terrible, yeah. Even worse. Yeah, that experiment, there's been many studies and even books written about that experiment because of just how unprecedentedly unethical that was. It was, I mean, by today's standards, just like a criminal act. Like you enacted like infectious violence on a group of people and they didn't know about it. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it... Um. I'm 99% sure I'm right on this, but we might want to do a double check. Wasn't one of the reasons that R. Kelly was found guilty? Yeah, because he he intentionally infected people with HIV in addition to having intercourse with underage girls. Right. That was a big part, too. He didn't disclose his HIV status. Let's see. R. Kelly syphilis. That's what Google. Yes. The New York Times. R. Kelly knowingly infected accusers with herpes. Herpes, Herpes, not syphilis. Herpes. No, I said I said HIV, which is incorrect. But right. I knew it was. And one of the things with herpes, herpes is a sexually transmitted infection that you can manage. You can manage the symptoms of, but it never goes away because it it goes dormant. Just like if you have cold sores, you may go 10 years or however long without a cold sore, but it like, I think in that case, it like lives in a, in a nerve in your ear or some weird thing. And then it gets activated and it comes out. So same thing with herpes in the down. What did your teacher call it? Downstairs herpes? Yeah, downstairs herpes, same thing. (laughs) Downstairs herpes. Not to make too light of this because it is very terrible, but it is dormant. And so if you are knowingly infecting people with herpes, which is something you can never get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty bad. You're enacting infectious crime or violence on another person. I mean, all of that was to say, like, people still knowingly do this. It's awful. And uh, it's terrible. Again, public health concern. That's why we're here. Hepatitis, if left untreated, serious liver issues. I think we talked before about my dad's liver issues. He That was a result of hepatitis C, that there was no treatment for that until the mid, what do you call the 20, the 2010s? That what you call? The mid 10s. Yeah. Yeah. The mid 10s. So he, he finished up his treatment when I got married in 2013. You know, a lot of damage had been done. Now he has a brand spanking new liver. So it's <laughs> Yeah. And that was the, um, the whole, 
what's the right not debacle but the whole drama of the pharmaceutical company raising the price of the hep c treatment that was that right that was one of them i think there were a few one of them yeah they jacked up the price by a lot for hep c treatment um which is anyway we won't comment about that but yeah there's also a ton of other infectious diseases oh sorry sexually transmitted infections that are not the typical names you hear but you know technically speaking ebola and zika virus both fall under the sexually transmitted infection so just because they're not usual suspects doesn't mean they they can't be transmitted uh, sexually and just very briefly there has been a lot of articles and news published about re-emerging and emerging sexually transmitted infections outbreaks and they don't quite understand why yet but there's a lot of sexually transmitted infections that are making like a comeback if you will maybe it's because of i don't know lack of proper sex ed or maybe because of I don't know. They don't know why, but there's a lot of STIs that are making a comeback, which why this is even more pressing of a public health issue. Monkeypox was one of the ones that was on the news. It was during COVID, I think. It was like a double whammy. There's another one that was um, recently. I'm going to read off a list. Maybe it's one of them. These like new STIs are emerging STIs. Shigella sonai, and then there's Neisseria meningitidis. And then hepatitis A, hepatitis A, as we know for a while. And then there's a whole bunch of these new, like names I haven't even heard of, new and emerging STIs. And people are still trying to figure out why they're these new ST, where these new STIs are coming from. But um, anyway, it's a public health thing, right? That's why we're here. This is a public health concern. And uh, as public health people, we want to make sure that, you know, to prevent disease from happening is the number one goal. So public health is about the health of everyone. So if we can prevent STIs, we should and we will try our best. And so what are some strategies for preventing the spread of STIs? Sure. If we're thinking sort of very specifically about the sexual transmission piece, recognizing we talked before about some other ways it might be transmitted. But first off, and you know, while this isn't a strategy that works for everyone, abstinence certainly is a strategy to avoid sexually transmitted infections, right? If you don't have sex, minimize that exposure. Abstinence and abstinence only are two very different things. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, The next step would be safe sex. This includes male condoms, female condoms, other other kinds of barriers that might prevent contact between genitalia during sexual intercourse. After that, certainly regular testing is important even if you don't have symptoms. Yes. If you are encourage people to test. Yeah, yeah. if you're engaged in sexual activities, it, it's a good thing to test. Seek help if you need it. There's treatment for many of these, even if they can't cure it. Again, there's at least symptom management. And for some, as we were talking about with uh, HPV, some vaccines are available. And if those are available, absolutely getting vaccinated because vaccination is one of the best ways to protect not just yourself, but other folks, because if enough people are vaccinated, then it's exceptionally unlikely that an infection would meaningfully move through a community. Yeah. Have you seen a female condom that's not in a diagram? Yeah, I've seen one. Really? Okay. I have never seen one like in real life. So I don't remember if we talked about this, but in undergrad, I was part of like a group of student ambassadors, essentially, for the university who like helped people get access to things, organized events, et cetera. And so we would do like condom distribution, male and female condom distribution, those sorts of things. And so, yeah, we would we would give them out because give people agency to protect themselves however they might choose. Yeah. Make it easier to do the safe thing, right? That's right. It's <laughs> We talk about that in injury prevention, yes. but it's in public health too, right? Can we make the safest thing the easiest thing? If you make it hard, if you make condoms hard to access or embarrassing yeah. to access, a big part then of it. Yeah. people aren't going to 
you know, use them, engage in at least safer sex. Yeah. And I do want to tie this back to sex ed a little bit. A big part of how to implement these strategies from a public health perspective is going to be education. And that's why like informative sex ed that doesn't demonize sex and doesn't stigmatize sex and, you know, just preach abstinence only is so important to make people realize that there are tools and there are ways to protect yourself that doesn't involve Ooh, sex is bad, you know, like that type of rhetoric. Yeah, we've long established that young people are going to engage in sex. Regardless. And if we don't give them accurate information, if we don't give them access to reproductive services and safe sex materials, they're going to have sex anyway. And then they're going to have unsafe sex. Unsafe sex, potentially contract an STI or get pregnant, whatever. Or be too embarrassed to get tested and get treated. Our teen pregnancy rates demonstrate that like people are having sex. And so, you know, what can we do to make it less stigmatized? And that's having conversations and normalizing conversations about it. And it can be awkward and uncomfortable as a parent to say, hey, are you having sex? But it's an important thing. And and giving kids whatever they need to protect themselves is important because it's far better for them if they're going to have sex anyway, far better for them to have sex with condoms than to not and then have to deal with potentially a a life altering long term infection. Yes. And I mean, I'm not a parent, so I'm not going to comment about it. But yeah, like I think the worst thing Not the worst thing, but one of the worst things that you can do as a parent is to not talk about it at all and just make it like, no, 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 I don't want to hear about it. Because then if they need help, who are they going to go to? (laughs) Like, you're supposed to be there to provide the like, I'm here to help you first and foremost, right? That type of energy. But anyway, uh, so today has been all about sexually transmitted infections, and they are a public health concerns, especially recently. I'm going to dig into this, like why, I mean, from what I can see, they don't know why a lot of these new STIs are emerging and a lot of old STIs are re-emerging. A big part, I think they said, is antimicrobial resistance. Things that used to be able to treat them no longer do effectively, and that's why they're like re-emerging. But yeah, like this is a public health concern. And then if we can you know, help people stay safe and prevent disease from spreading in the first place... That is a win for public health. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everything is Public Health. If you like the show, please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. This is the best thing you can do to help us tell everyone how awesome and ubiquitous public health is. Please follow us on Threads, Instagram, Mastodon, all at Everything is Public Health and also Blue Sky Social at Everything is PH. We are no longer using Twitter. You can find me sometimes, uh, sketchily, sometimes. Uh, on threads at CastPhD. New episodes are released every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review. It helps the show immensely. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or think we missed an important perspective, please reach out to us at everythingispublichealth at gmail.com. If you want to support the show directly, we have a Patreon page, which also acts as our website. Follow us there for all major updates and bonus material. And remember, everything is public health. Everything is public health.